we have a uh, rubber band ball. Thank you, Sam. I was thinking about this for a little bit. Um, I don't know what to do with it. No, I got something. First, we're going to start with a single rubber band. In the, uh, in the story of Scripture, we have... I got too many things going on up here. In the story of Scripture, we have a lot of people uh, who display great faith. And uh, if you were to kind of talk about faith, one of the ways you can do that is talking about believing and trusting and walking with God. And so there was a guy named Abraham. Does anybody remember Abraham? What does Abraham, anybody, what is he famous for? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Do you guys want to get up and do the dance, or are you guys good? All right. I can see that all the children have, still have tryptophan turkey hangover. Uh, so... When I was a kid, I always liked to have a rubber, gan, uh, rubber band fight with my brother. We would snap each other like this, you know, and get a good stinger on the thigh. Um, but anyways, we're going to talk about faith uh, this morning. So Abraham was a guy who was given a promise. And that promise was given from God to Abram. And he says, you are going to be a blessing to the nation. This is in Genesis chapter 12. And Later, after, way, way, way after, uh, people would still talk about Abraham and his faith. And in the book of Hebrews, uh, we have the story, uh, sort of, of all of these faithful people. But we're just going to look at Hebrews eleven seventeen. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice the one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abram reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from, back from the dead. Uh, he also says of Abraham that Abraham, in verse 8, says when, when Abraham was called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham was a guy that was being stretched. <laughs> Sam's looking at me like, really? That's what you came up with? I want you to think about that, though. Uh, is the rubber band very functional just like this, Sam? Now, in order for it to get around the ball, right, you had to start with a bunch of little ones, right? And then you created tension, and you stretched it all the way around to build it, right? Well, faith is a lot like us. Here we are, just whatever, we're loosey-goosey and not a lot to us. And then God came into Abraham's life, and he started stretching him, and he said, Okay, you're not just going to stay here the rest of your life. I want you to go to the promised land. And he says, okay. And so then his faith stretched. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham's like, whoa. But he goes anyways. And his faith stretched even more. I was thinking about 
us being stretched in our faith. Our faith is this sort of tension to walk with and trust God. And then I thought about this gigantic ball, and here's what the church is. It's a whole lot of people together, stretched in their faith. And their purpose is to show their faith even in the midst of all of the tension and all the difficulty that they would stick together, that they'd be one in Christ. Now I know the purpose of the church. I'm not really sure the purpose of this. The purpose of the church is to be a unified people who glorify Jesus Christ, who seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And that takes a group of people who are stretching their faith to believe Jesus is Lord. To believe that He's the Savior of the world despite people contradicting that or accusing us of so many other things. To be a group of people who stick together in their belief on who Jesus is and what God has done and what He's doing in this world. To seek and save and redeem. So my question would be is, is your faith being stretched? And can we be stretched together and stick together and walk with God. There's a handy verse in Ephesians that reminds us who we are. Consequently, we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with God's people, and we're members of His household. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It started with Christ and then His apostles. And it kept growing and growing. And we're now still Christ's church today. Built on the faith of Jesus. Thanks, Sam. Let's pray. God, we love You. Thank You for building us together your church. And Lord, stretch us, not to the point of breaking, but to the point of usefulness, that we would hold together the truths of your word, that we would hold together the promises of scripture, that we would hold together on the hope, that we would hold together unto you. Lord, unify us and bring us healing and hope and salvation in the name of Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Stick with me, and I pray it will minister to your soul. The insidious nature of COVID. I know that when you come to church, we would rather put aside the feelings we have and just fix our focus on Christ. I'm with you, but there are so many strange reminders that COVID is still here. Still something that we wrestle with. The windows are open and our masks are on. We are distanced from one another. People are not here with us that we long to have with us. It is difficult to not think about COVID 
and to think about Christ. COVID has worked its way into our lives, and there is what feels like very little we can do about it. The best word I feel like the English language has at its disposal to describe COVID is insidious. Proceeding in gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. We have done all that we can to stop it, but it continues to spread and wreak havoc on people, on organizations, and more. We are pushed towards isolation, distancing, covering up and masking up. And after all of it, it's still here. It's still hurting communities, organizations, families, friends. It works its way through to divide and expose vulnerabilities in every aspect of human life. It shows underlying health problems. It brings about anxiety. In organizations, it has proven to expose communication breakdowns, relationship conflicts, and underlying issues. After the quarantine in China, divorce is elevated. And the same is true here. There's an exodus of teachers, and there's an exodus of preachers, and healthcare workers, and police officers. I was sharing with Kevin uh, just earlier this morning, it said, it seems like our healthcare providers, they're not burned out, they're fried. It has painfully exposed the fragile state of the American health industry. It has exposed the racial conflicts and systemic problems within our institutions, within the policing, and housing, and so much more. Did I say COVID? My bad, I meant to say sin. Let's try it again. I would love to fix my eyes on Christ, but there are so many painful reminders that sin is still here. It's still something that we wrestle with personally, as a church, as a community, and citizens of this world. The windows are open and we are prone to letting fear of the world work its way into us. Our masks are on, still attempting to cover up the sin in our life and the hurt that we have. We are distanced from one another. A painful reminder of the hurt and separated relationships of our life because of the insidiousness of sin. It's difficult to not think about the harmful effects of sin. It's worked its way into our lives and there is what feels like very little we can do about it. Sin proceeds in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects on every aspect of human life. We have done all that we can to stop it, but it continues to spread and it continues to wreak havoc on people and organizations and more. We are pushed to isolation and distancing and shaming and covering up and masking up. And after all we have tried to do to overcome sin in our own on our own, it's still here, and it's still hurting communities and organizations and families and friends. It works its way to divide, to expose vulnerabilities in ourselves and others and organizations and more. Sin reveals the underlying health problems of our soul and the great anxiety within us. In organizations, it has proven to expose communication breakdowns, relationship conflicts, and underlying issues. It has wreaked havoc on the leadership of the world. Politics as we know it is as divisive and angry and bitter as it has ever been. It is the fruit of sin. 
It works in the background, scheming, lurking about, looking to destroy. It has painfully exposed the fragile state of the soul of America. No matter what it does, the consequences of sin is death. It has exposed racial conflicts and systemic problems within our world. So what we do is we try to sanitize. We try to secure and we try to be safe. Our response is to cleanse and to clean, to protect. We do all we can to do away with the harmful effects of sin. We try, attempt to sanitize. We clean ourselves. We protect ourselves with our religion. We do what we're supposed to, when we're supposed to, and we hope that the formula works. But sin is not only airborne, it comes from within each of us. We are all carriers of the corruption of sin. All of sin. We find the emptiness of our religion. The emptiness at its ability to ward off the threats and the ugliness of death and sin. The inability of our religion to control the world and control the problems and keep it at a distance. So when our religion doesn't cleanse what is left, well, it's out of our control and it's out of control. And the suffering, the anguish, the sorrow that has come because of it, we can't quantify. We can't quantify sin. And so I've come to this realization. The breakdowns in organizations, the vulnerabilities and all of the weaknesses that we all have, the pride and the ego-driven things, the control that we seek, well, there is only one thing that can be done. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is everything. Forgiveness is all we really have. We can't function without it. We are broken, we are hurting, and we are lost without forgiveness. With forgiveness, there is life. Without it, we have nothing. We have heard stories of criminals who are forgiven of their misdeeds. Drunk drivers who kill someone guilty of vehicular manslaughter. The family reaches out to the perpetrator and forgives them. They know the death penalty for the perpetrator won't heal the burden of the victim's family's heart or fill the empty place in their lives, nor will it deal with the sorrow within their soul. Forgiveness for them is everything. Without it, their lives are in ruin. Forgiveness. It's all we have. And it's all that we are as a church. Forgiveness is everything. We don't exist without forgiveness. You take away forgiveness and you take away the church. We can't exist, function, or have a life together without forgiveness. We can't exist without the forgiveness of Christ. Otherwise, without the forgiveness from Jesus, there is nothing to hold us together. Thanks for the rubber band ball there. Hold us together. We must fix our hearts and minds not on the painful divisions of sin and the death that brings but the life forgiveness offers us in Christ. The cross of Christ is the beginning of forgiveness. It's the force that has moved the love of God 
with such intensity throughout all of creation. This is the opposite of insidiousness, of an unwitting opponent undermining us. No, it is straightforward and sincere. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that's, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through Him. It is the love of God that drives us forward. I invite you to imagine with me for a moment. Maybe you need to close your eyes to do it. That's always a risky thing to ask people to do. Just nudge your neighbor every couple of seconds. I invite you to imagine with me that you are standing at the ocean shore. And you're barefoot and you're standing with your your toes in in the sand in the warm ocean water gently passing through your toes, your legs, and now you slowly work your way into it further and further. And with each gentle wave, you are further engrossed in the waves of the ocean. And now stand at the foot of of the cross. Now fall down and let the ocean of God's love wash over you. This is the cross of Christ. And just as steady as the ocean waves are with perfect rhythm rolling into the shore, the love of God is steady and true. The whole of God's love is seen at the cross. And a steady wave of God's love has been passing from the center of life into the world and to you and me. We miss the whole thing if we don't forgive. So Jesus offers this, this warning that if we don't have forgiveness, we don't have it to give. With, with forgiveness, we have life, and we have nothing without it. So we have a decision as people moving forward. Will we seek the forgiveness of God or not? Will we forgive one another or choose not to? The path of no forgiveness. Well, if we don't forgive, we can say no to the church. We can say goodbye to the church. We will take on a bitterness and anger that no one will enjoy and no one will benefit from. It will be a downward spiral of despair and brokenness. With this stern of a warning, some may still choose to allow sin to separate. What we are facing seems insurmountable and impossible. It weighs us down and it separates us. And that's where the wave of Christ's forgiveness comes. Do you believe in the power and significance of the sincerity of God's love for you to redeem and save? Do you believe that God's forgiveness has the power to heal the hardest and most difficult of situations? The church is at its most beautiful when she forgives. When she seeks the forgiveness of God. When we forgive the failures and sins of one another. Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and he asked in verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who went to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, 
a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled his debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. We are called to forgive. And the wicked servant exposes the wickedness in my own heart. Pay back what you owe me. The harsh words echo from our own lips. Yet Jesus says, forgive not only seven times, but 77. The point being that just as God forgives like the steady ocean wave, as we stand before Him open to the mercy and forgiveness of God, we extend that same mercy to others. We are the wave of God's forgiveness in the world. We are forgivers of sin. Sin has brought brokenness in your life. You are masked up and you're separated. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to reconcile with? The likely answer is that it is with God and it is with others. It is perhaps even with yourself. Be kind to yourself. We have all sinned. But we enjoy the free gift of life, the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. Where is the wave of forgiveness needed in your life? Standing at the shore of the cross, the stream of forgiveness is flowing. Let it heal your marriage with forgiveness. Let it heal your friendships. Let it heal your relationships with your brother or your sister. Let it heal your enemy. We can let sin separate, isolate, and destroy. Or we can open ourselves to the love of God. Be united and healed and given new life. Let's pray and be open to living the Lord's Prayer. That tells us, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That reminds us not to be led into temptation, but to be delivered from evil. Friends, one day COVID will be over. Better yet, one day the final victory over sin and death will be ours. The victory will be won and God will redeem. God will save. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the Lordship of Jesus.
that He is the Savior of the world. And the wave of healing forgiveness will come and we will be united with every tribe and people and everyone will have a place with God. We will be reconciled. We will be forgiven. We live between these waves of mercy. The mercy of the cross and the mercy of the second coming. And this love flows from the Spirit of Christ. And He invites us to be a wave of God's mercy and love in this world. So my heart for us today is let's be a beautiful church that forgives. That embraces the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our own life and shares the forgiveness with others. There is so much hurt and so much separation, so much anger and frustration and hurt. It's time for the church to be beautiful again. Be a place of forgiveness, love, and mercy and grace for each day. Will you be a forgiving church? Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.